Shout out to the standouts, man. C dot, A dot. Yes, sir. Catch you on the rebound. We got some Renaissance man in here, man. Make some noise. We got Raphael Barlow in the building out of Omaha, Nebraska. I think you're the first person I ever met out of Omaha. <laughs> and we got, of course, Tim Martin, man, the legendary NBA trainer from Dallas, Texas, man. How y'all feel? Thank y'all for being here, man. I'm good. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah. No, yes, it's, it's been uh it's been a while. It has been, been able to get together, but it's it's good yeah. to finally get together. It is, it is, and this is the second. This is our second podcast or interview, but this this kind of feels like the the authentic one. Yeah, know? it's it's in the studio. The vibes are real. We kind of been talking, and uh, it's here. It's here. Um, so just we gonna we gonna start it off with basketball. We all love basketball, mm-hmm. right? So the season ended. Corona ended the season. Right, and now these guys are about to start up. Um, are these guys gonna be in shape? Is this gonna be a shit show? Uh, is there a favorite? How do you, how do you guys feel about all of that? And uh, you you go first, and then man, I go from there. It's gonna be a combination. Okay, I think you know. Um, there's a lot of guys that are kind of actually using this time. You got to think too. Most of these guys that have been in the league, especially the younger generation, right? They've never really had an off season right. from high school True. to college to you know, uh, to the pros. So, um, I think they're, they're utilizing this, this time to really just kind of enjoy themselves okay. off the court. Um, but on the flip side, you, you got your, your pro pros, the veterans that know that you physically just can't take your days off. You got to stay within that routine, you know, in that day-to-day pre- preparation. So right. ultimately I, 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 I don't know what's going to happen. I think people's timing is going to be off, mm-hmm. you know, from the shooting and just the chemistry on the court. Right. That's definitely going to take some time. But um, it's just been a weird year so far. Yeah. It really has. So you you just never know. True. And Raphael, you run a draft ranking website, would you say? Or how would you word that? Just NBA draft. NBA um, draft. I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily say I rank guys, but I have, like, mock drafts, and right. it's just my opinions and my projections on how I feel. So yeah. it's something I've always wanted to do as as a kid. And so right. thankfully we live in this era now where if there's something you want to do, you can do it. You know, okay. just kind of like with you with, with this podcast. You didn't need to a radio station to pick you up and have to grind your way. You could you say, hey, I want to do it, and you're yeah. making it happen. So that's what I do with my draft site. Got it, man. So, Mikey, and I'm not familiar with his last name, but he's one of the best high school players. Mm-hmm. Uh, potentially, just spoke about going to an HBCU. Mm-hmm. What does that What does that mean for basketball and uh, the Power Six conferences? If all these guys decide to go to HBCU, so. well, I'm, I'm an HBCU alum. You are, so, yeah. What school? I, I went to Jackson State. Okay. So you're talking about Mikey Williams, the kid out of San Diego. Yep. And as an HBCU alum, I like to see it happen, but I'm kind of torn on it because I feel like the way he's projected to go, he's projected to possibly not even have to go to college. I mean, the G League is offering guys half a million dollars to go play in the G League, and as of now, they're only going to play like 12, 13 games. <laughs> so for him, if you if he's really going to do it, mm-hmm. then I would say do it. But don't say you're going to do it and, and then at the end of the day you know 
that if Coach K calls you or Roy Williams or Bill Self, you're going to go there. I think mm-hmm. it would be great as far as exposure. Yeah. Um, my last year in college, I was a, a coach. I was basically a student coach for Jackson State. Okay. And so, and the the money at HBCUs is so tight. So, for example, right. we used to have to play these money games. And I don't know if you guys played them at Texas Tech or SMU if you played in the HBCUs, but okay. we would basically travel to these Power Five schools. They pay right. us forty, fifty thousand dollars, yeah. and we take the bus. They'd feed us pizza or Sizzler or whatever. They'd beat us yeah. by fifty, <laughs> but they're using us as prep games right. to yeah. prepare them for their conference schedule. Yeah, and so we would start the season off zero and twelve. Mm. And we'd miss months of school because we didn't have like the tutors traveling with us or anything like that. But the black schools need that money because, you know, there's only two sports that generate revenue. Football, basketball. So, yep. And if you want to be a division one school, that means you have to have a certain amount of sports. Right. So you need to have, Mm. I don't know. So so we had some bogus sports like bowling because it counted as a division one sport. Okay. But the, so basically the, the, athletes or the football players and basketball players, mostly basketball, are being used to travel all around the country, get smacked by 50 to Mm -hmm. generate money that has to pay for all the sports programs. Right. So if a star like that, Uh. like Mikey Williams or whoever goes to HBCU, I think it would help out tremendously as far as finances. Right. Because the big schools are going to want to play him. I mean, possibly, but even like, for example... Um, just the exposure. Okay. So I remember like 2006, I believe, when George Mason went to okay. the Final Four. They had a good run, yeah. And just all that exposure of them being on television, all the articles, mm-hmm. it brought attention to the school. So more regular students were applying. And think about it, a college application may cost you $150. Right. So if you get 20,000 kids are applying to... HBCU just submitting applications that generates money. True. So like, um, like I give you an example. I went to Jackson State, like I said. Right. And so I, I knew I wanted to go to a black school later my senior year, okay. but I remember Jackson State played Kansas okay. in the first round. They got smacked. Heck well, actually, yeah. they were. I think they were playing with them in the first half. Then they got blown out in the second half. Yeah. And then I remember like doing research. Like, oh, okay, Lindsey Hunter, I just went there. Um, Walter Payton went there, but just seeing them on TV made me actually like, oh, I'm going to apply there. And I ended up going there. Okay. And then I've even had other students that, um, people that I've met said when Carmelo had that run at Syracuse, they never heard of Syracuse, but they liked the colors. They liked Carmelo. Right. They went on a website, found out they have a good journalism program and they ended up going to school there. So the exposure that sports brings helps the school out. Right. Even outside of basketball. But right. as far as like kids going to those schools, I would love to see it happen. Yeah. But I think the time is now right. to do it. To do it, yeah. And I mean, before, I mean, this is kind of like kind of off topic and maybe controversial, but before oh, there was yeah. segregation, yeah. all the top people went to HBCUs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, I mean, you look at like... I want to see it. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 w- it. I would like to see it. I just... Don't have confidence that yeah. it will happen because I just think they'd find a way to make sure it, it doesn't happen. Ah, and so my, allegations, compliance. Yeah, like, and, and to me, like I look at 
Memphis and Oklahoma State have two black coaches. Right. Back-to-back years, they got the number one recruits in the country. Mm-hmm. Didn't even let them Wiseman play. only played three games. They found something with that. Mm-hmm. And Oklahoma State is possibly, yeah. I mean, they've already put them on probation. Them. But Arizona and yeah, LSU. All the LSU, they got mm-hmm. these guys like. Right re- <laughs> Yeah, they got them recorded sure. and nothing has happened. So I think if, you know, like if a guy like Zion would have went to like Morehouse or something like yeah, that. He would have changed the they whole, everything. He would have changed it, but I don't know if the powers would have wanted that to happen. The powers. <laughs> NCAA, right? Yeah. So Tim, you so you have a different experience. Like you actually go through that NBA draft process with these uh-huh. guys. Um, what is something that some of these younger guys lack or they don't necessarily understand? Um, from coming from play, playing in high school where most of the players you play against are they they're just inferior to you. Uh-huh. Like they're just not on your level. But when you step up to that NBA level, the worst guy. Maybe better than you know, incoming uh, rookie or something like that. Uh-huh. So what, what kind of things did the rookies kind of struggle with in that in that process leading up to <clears throat> being drafted? Man, I think um, just understanding the business overall. Okay. okay. Um, I think ultimately, you know, they feel like their success from high school. A lot of them thinks that this is going to translate into to college. Right. You know, high school was easy. I'm going to a power five or six conference school, mm-hmm. I'm going to do the same thing I did in high school and, and you know, yeah. move on to the NBA and do the same thing. And, like, the NBA is just is so elite yeah. on so many levels, you know. <laughs> and and what comes with it, too, off the court, yeah. you know, I don't think a lot of players really understand that, like, when you're in college, you're broke. Right. And so a lot of things get magnified once – money comes in. I mean, from your family to your friends to a lot of your peers. And then, you know, probably the biggest thing is just understanding that on on your own team, you know, each NBA team has 12 to 15 active players on the roster. But those are also 12 to 15 different personal companies. True. Businesses. You know what I'm saying? So the way you brand yourself, the way you market yourself, there's a lot of different things off the court that these guys um, just don't get. Okay. It's not just about basketball. Okay. I mean, there's guys that I think we both could attest that maybe they're not as talented or as skilled. Yeah. Like somebody we, you know, may know, but yeah. they're on NBA rosters because of their personality. Good Definitely. locker room guys, good Definitely. character guys. True. And there's so many different variables that go into it. But, um, you know, I, I think that's the biggest thing is just really understanding the business. Got it. And I also think understanding who you are in your role. Mm. You know, if you're used to having the ball in your hands and <laughs> not dominating, they can't put you in the court with James Harden because right. you're not going to wave him off and tell him to go get in the corner. They're going to send you so, home a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and a bus pass like yeah. my coach used to say. <laughs> yeah, so you, I think a lot of guys don't understand that the league has the players that they're paying 25 30 even up to $40 million yeah. now. Yeah. You have to compliment those guys. Yeah. If yeah. you don't compliment them, yeah. Then it's not all about who's the best one-on-one player. It's about being a complimentary piece to the superstars. And I think a lot of guys don't understand that. Mm. So how did you guys meet? Man, we we met um, like we had we had talked before the show. Okay, um, 2010 was it 20, yeah. 2010? Yeah. Yeah, it's 2010. Yeah, okay. it's 2010. And I think uh, I don't know exactly where. I know I, we was in the Dr Pepper Arena. Okay, in Frisco. And um, I was doing my internship with the Texas Legends. Right. And I know he was working with them at the time. Right. And um, 
man, we just we just kept in touch. And then ultimately, like as I started getting into my my training space, right, he was actually my first videographer. Okay, he he, he filmed my first training video with um, Josh Howard, Devin Harris, and Marquez Haynes. Wow. And then ten years later, I mean, we sitting here now, so it's it's, it's pretty right. unique. Yeah, it's a crazy story. Yeah. So, my 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 version of the story is probably a little bit more uh, in detail. Right. So, um, right. Travis Travis introduced us. Travis okay. Blakely. Yeah. And so um, I had I was living in L.A. at the time, and I had an internship with the Clippers, but it was unpaid. I ran out of money, so I ended up coming home. Right. And uh, I asked to intern with the with the legends and. You know, of course, I'm intern. It's free work, so of course they're mm-hmm. gonna say yeah. Right. So then, um, I think Travis in- introduced us, and then he said Tim was a trainer. So my mindset of when I started working in the G League, I wanted to be my long term goal is to be a general manager of an NBA team, and I figured okay. I needed to know every single aspect of basketball operations. I needed mm-hmm. to know how to train. I needed to know. Just every single aspect of it. Okay. So at that time, I didn't know anybody that trained NBA players. So when I found out Tim trained, I'm like, he looks like me. Like, he looks like, you know, in, in your mind, you think in order to be a trainer, at least for me at that time, you have yeah. to have this extensive resume of I played right. 10 years, played that. Yeah. So I'm like, if he can do it, then, you know, not saying anybody can do it, right. but there's hope. So I had got an iPad and I reached out to him. I said, hey, I just want to film your workouts. And mm-hmm. he's like, okay, cool. So, and this was before everybody had cameras and every workouts were being now, filmed. This was back everybody when. Everybody has one. Yeah. What you did never went out. Sure. And so I reached out and um, he said, okay, cool. So I met him at Farmer's Branch. Rec Center. Farmer's Branch Farmer's Rec Center. Branch. So I bring my Rec iPad. Center. And uh, it was my first time seeing, like, NBA players up close right? in, in, in personal workout. Yeah. And I've always been interested in, like, behind the scenes, like, what makes this guy great? Right. So it was Josh Howard and Devin Harris and Mark, Mark, is it Marquez? Is that mm-hmm. how you They playing ones? No, I was just, um, you know, he was just putting them through drills. But I was just curious of, like, what do these guys work on? What are the drills? Yada, yada, yada. So I filmed with my iPad. And I go home thinking like, okay, this is cool. I'm I'm looking at it more so to study mm-hmm. of like like film study, film study, yeah, strengths and what weaknesses. goes on behind the scenes. So I get a call from Tim maybe a couple hours later, and he says, "Do you have a video of Josh dunking?" Because I th- I think at that time Josh was coming back from a torn ACL. Yeah, okay, I remember. And he that. just wanted like a single clip of him jumping off his surgically repaired knee. So in my mind, I'm thinking like, well, what would I want to see if I'm a general manager of a team? So I cut up the video, which I had never done before. I had been trying to do it, but it was like I was on the spot. So I cut up the video, and every single clip that I had of Josh junk, jumping off that particular leg, mm-hmm. I put it together. I don't know how long the video was. Right. So then I get a call from OT, mm-hmm. Josh's manager. He's like, yo, yo, this is it. Yo, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. And I'm just like, okay. <laughs> Three days later, one of my best friends from college who lives in D.C., he calls me. He's like, hey, did you film a video with, with Josh Howard? And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, How did you know? He's like, it's in the Washington Post. Yeah. In the I'm like, on, on the Washington yeah. Post? And he's like, yeah, it's on the website. So I type in my name on Google, and there it is. Damn. The first basketball video that I cut up. Damn, it was in the yeah. Washington Post. So It's not bad. 
I mean, but it's, it's kind of <laughs> like right. you're starting off at the top. And yeah. 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 That's, that's definitely you know difficult. It, that was, um, I think that was a huge moment for both of us. Okay. Because, like I said, those were my first clients. Okay. I ain't know what the hell I was doing. Josh. When I watched when I watch that video, I'm like, man, what the heck? Yeah. So you see the growth, you okay. know, coming from where I am now to to back then. And I know it's the same thing for him in terms of his video editing and just but it was like we both wasn't really pursuing that as a career. Okay. Like for me, I was just doing it to try to figure out what I wanted to do. Right. I didn't know if I wanted to be a head coach or getting you know, I I knew I love basketball. Right. And I knew that I can make a little money here and there doing that. Right. But it wasn't like I wanted to be a trainer. Okay. Because back in 20, 2009, 2010, like there still virtually was no, like basketball training was not really an industry yeah, at that time. Like it is now. Yeah. yeah. And it's the same thing for him, like marketing. Like I don't, I think, was YouTube even around? Yeah, it, it was, was around. around. Yeah, it not, was like, around, but yeah. like there weren't influencers. Not like now. Yeah. Instagram yeah. wasn't around. I mean, we were we're like dinosaurs at this point. MySpace, you know. Yeah, MySpace was <laughs> popping, but it's cool to see, you know, how that video kind of got him going, and then they got it got me going as well. And yeah. then you know, ten years fast forward from one video. Yeah, we both doing full time. So it's, it's dope. It just shows how rare it is because the video wasn't high quality. It was on the iPad, but mm. there weren't many videos of players working out behind the scenes yeah, for it true. to make the Washington Post. Like, if it were today, yeah. it probably wouldn't happen. Yeah. Um, it would be, like, crazy edited and graphics, but yeah. it was just a very low budget. Like I said, it was, it was, it was an iPad. It wasn't, yeah. like, a, an expensive camera. But that just shows how times have changed that mm. now. Yeah. You know, you go to a gym now, if there's a star basketball player, there may be three or four camera, camera people. guys in there for sure. And it's annoying, man, because it takes away from what you're trying to do as far as like training and work. Because you got some guys that they can't train and not focus on the camera. You know what I mean? They have to. Yeah. They got to lock in. And I think for, for, for trainers, too, because mm -hmm. sometimes trainers may feel like, oh, the camera's here. Yeah. So I can't work on basic Right. Jabs and football. I got I got handles and I got to, I I got to, I got to, I got to off the glass and dunk it. Yeah. That's that's one thing though for me. I I love showing the imperfections. Right. You know, I love showing the process. That's right. why I made I made a few episodes with like Trey Young and a few other players on on mm -hmm. YouTube called the process. Okay. And I I made it a point to show misses, to show the players messing up, to show me even messing up on my speech or me trying to demonstrate and it's like, yo, I want I want to show the ball bouncing off my knee or whatever. Because that's right. real life. That you is. know what I mean? I don't want a cool little video where all, all makes. makes. Yeah, like that's not. He might be the first person that's ever had a posted a video of a player missing a shot online. Yeah. For sure. Nowadays, <laughs> for sure. I take pride in that because yeah. I think people could relate more with that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's it's about being authentic in, in this business. Um, you know, that was one of the things that, you know, the guy I work with now, Thomas Biggers, okay. um, we had bought some audio equipment and I wanted to be mic'd up. Right. And at this time it's like, yo, I don't want no music in the background. I just want raw clips mm. of me talking, but then also the players showing their mistakes, but how they're able to correct them, okay. correct the mistakes. And then how it translates from the workouts to the actual game. Okay. So that was kind of my marketing strategy. Right. On how I could separate myself from other trainers out there. Right. You know, and so. That's true. Um, I like that. Yeah. Because, yeah, definitely when you get online, you see all 360 windmill dunks and nah, man. 10 threes in a row. That's it's not all. real. Yeah. It's not real basketball. I yeah. mean, you, you played. 
mm-hmm. at the high, you know, one of the highest levels. And so, yeah. how many dunks do you really get in the game? You lucky if you get yeah. one. You yeah. lucky. If that's right. <laughs> so it's yeah. it's I don't know. I don't man. know. Jordan got a few. He was. I got yeah. a lot. I got a lot. But it's for average person, it's hard to get <laughs> yeah. a dunk. Yeah, like it's work. It's definitely work. Absolutely. Um, yeah, man. So we're gonna we're gonna kind of change the subject. Uh, obviously, this is a mental health podcast, and I keep continue to retell this story. But now, when I tell it, it it's it's kind of different because I feel different things. So. All this whole thing, this whole mental health thing started in 2012 when I lost my dad. Mm-hmm. My trainer, Keith Garnett, uh, he said, JT, I think you should talk to a therapist. Mm-hmm. It just uh, It opened me up because my, my heart was hardened mm-hmm. uh, just from me and my dad's relationship before he passed. Mm-hmm. We didn't have the best one. When he died, I was just soft. I was broken. I didn't really know what to do with all these emotions. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I was handling it the wrong way in college, mm-hmm. uh, being, what, 19 and... Uh, Come to SMU, we do uh, we do individual and we do group therapy. And the thing that probably hit the most was to hear other people's stories. Mm-hmm. Because you think that yours is bad until you hear somebody else's. And then you're like, okay, well, if they survived that, then I, I could, you know, I could, I could go, I could get through this. Mm-hmm. You know, um, what are some things like within you guys' stories that kind of relates to mental health? Well, can I ask something first? What's up? I know Keith Garnett. You know Keith Garnett. He's he was in, with the Rockets. Yes, he's short ball. So I was in Beijing before, you know, before this Small whole pandemic world. hit, and he was hired. He got there like the day after I did. And he's serious? the trainer for the Beijing Ducks. So Keith? You know, yes. So we're in China, and you know, Small I'm, I'm, world. I'm working out there. So it's me, him, and Epe Udo. We're the only blacks. So <laughs> yep, I know Epe from Baylor. <laughs> yeah. So we hanging out tough. So yeah, I know. Right. I know <laughs> oh, Keith. Yeah. When you overseas, <laughs> yeah, you ain't got nothing. And, and he, he, you know, it's. Funny because I've been meaning to reach out to you to tell you that wow. he uh one day we were talking and he had mentioned your name. I was like, I used to see him every day during the summer. Damn. But yeah, small, Damn. very small world. I, I ended yeah. up meeting the same guy you mentioned Damn. a million miles away man. in Beijing. Yeah, man, Keith, man. Her name was Sheila. That's the first time I ever uh spoke to a therapist. Cause mm-hmm. you know, obviously in an African American community, it's a taboo. Right. Mm-hmm. Um and that was that was just kind of the start of it, man. And I haven't really, I just haven't really stopped since then. You know, like mm-hmm. I share my story with a stranger if it'll help him. Yeah, you know what I mean. And uh, even sometimes from from watching my episodes, I get I get responses from people in my DMs, you know, telling me how it impacted their lives. Yeah. that's another thing that kind of keeps it going. Right. Um, but yeah, definitely I've had definitely had uh, incredible lows. Mm-hmm. And um, we spoke about this earlier. People wouldn't know. Mm-hmm. If I was dealing with something, right? Because we can all hide it so easily, but I just I choose and I tell myself to just be open about it because mm-hmm. I know how difficult it was. Like when I went through that process, when I was trying to hide it, yeah. So I'm open about all of that stuff, man. Like Not, none yeah. of it really affects me. It actually just makes me grow, mm-hmm. which is kind of like why I do this. Yeah, yeah. Um, now I, I I definitely um you know I know we've had many conversations about it. Mm-hmm. I, I relate. You know, I I did um, I've I've done therapy. You know, yeah. even just as recent as last year. Really. You know, just to to put things in perspective, and you don't really I get you don't really know how much pain that you suppress okay. in your daily life, um, until you really just talk about it. Right. You know what I mean? Especially with somebody that you don't know. 
it's kind of awkward, you know, yeah. talking to a therapist. Is, you feel like you're being judged at times or whatever. But Definitely. Um, what it did is that it really um, forced me to look in the mirror and take a look at the things that are, I don't want to say wrong with me, mm-hmm. but things that I need to really work on. Okay. You know, as a, as a father, as a man, mm-hmm. um, as a friend, um, as as a boyfriend or whatever the case may be. I, right. You know, there's there's so many different layers to me. Mm-hmm. that I, I had to really figure out and try to um, work on. Right. But, you know, I think everybody, we all deal with so many different emotions every single day. And for me, like, I, I overthink about everything, you know. So off the top, that ain't healthy, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And just not really trusting the process or just going with the flow. Mm-hmm. And in my family, um, you know, I, a lot of my family has, has suffered from chronic depression, And also had family members that, you know, dealt with suicide and and stuff of of that nature. And so, you know, I think it is important to talk about um, how you feel. Now, obviously, a lot of people may not just be an open book and feel comfortable to to talk in public about things, you know, which is okay. You know, and for me, I've kind of created my whole brand around that. Right. And that's why I call it the beautiful struggle because of... Got that beautiful struggle tea right there. You know, so... But we, everyone has a story and that's always been my message is that, you know, you have to find the beauty in your, in your struggle and it is a day-to-day thing, you know, and, um, I've, I've been on this journey and it's a continuous journey. It's never ending for, for myself or for, for anybody. But, Mm -hmm. um, I think ultimately it's about taking accountability also, like it's hard to, to remove yourself from, from what's happened in the past and to prepare yourself for the future. So right. it's a constant unfolding aspect of your life. So definitely it's, it's difficult. Yeah. And even, even how you kind of, how you were saying, like you're a father and you, you, you we play different roles, mm-hmm. right? Which I didn't realize until I got a little older. So I'm a, I'm a son, I'm a brother, I'm an uncle. And all of those, all of those are different mm-hmm. and you're at a different level in each one. Right. You may be great at being a dad, and then you have to be a brother and you have to be an uncle and then you lack in some of those and mm-hmm. you've kind of been putting it off, but you're like, you're shorting your growth. Yeah. So you have to, whether it's like small growth or whatever it is, as long as you're growing in, in those areas, mm-hmm. it's kind of like what keeps me going. Yeah. Um, so I'm always trying to push that, that mental health thing for, you know, especially, mm-hmm. especially with black African-Americans. Yeah. Um, it's a, uh, it's an amazing time, you know, to be in America, and then it's just a, a unbelievably horrible time. Mm-hmm. You know, just some of the stuff we've seen and some of the stuff that we've experienced. In my in my experience, like I love history. I just love history. Like it's always happened. Like nothing is new. Right. <laughs> nothing being, that we're seeing is new. It's yep. being recorded now. We got camera phones. That's all. It's being yeah. recorded. So um, I see I see the protesters. I see riots, looting, and. I'm not mad, you mm-hmm. know, at people. I'm not really upset with people because, like, we're frustrated. Mm-hmm. We're frustrated, and we don't we don't know what to do. Like, what? Like, how do how do we change uh, what's been going on? You guys are obviously, you guys are a little bit older than me. You experienced some things in your life. Um, what can we do? Um, just just the three of us. You know, we're we're three black men. If we could do anything to kind of uh, turn the wheel to unlearn some things, unlearn some things, generational curses or like whatever they were, what could we do to uh, you know, just be progressive and definitely in times like this? Um, 
Well, for me, off the top, it's about investing in myself. Okay. You know, I've, I feel like my energy is contagious. And the okay. people that I, I surround myself with daily or interact with daily, I have an effect on people. Right. You know, I think we all do. I mean, anybody, not just us three, you know. And I think the people that we um, deal with daily in our communities mm -hmm. and in our own personal tribes, so to speak, mm -hmm. it's important that we um, affect change by our interactions. Okay. You know, so it may not be on a, on a huge macro scale, but if we're both individually doing our part from a micro standpoint, right. you know, it's kind of that each one teach one aspect. True. And I think that's a huge issue in, in the black culture. Um, and mm -hmm. we always talk about the, the crab in a the bucket right. theory and, and this and that. So um, to me, it's about just the, the thing that I can control for sure mm -hmm. is how, how am I operating daily? and try to do the best I can to make sure I'm the best version of myself right. when I'm interacting um, and engaging with others to, to uplift them and empower our people. Right. Yeah, I think just by being an example. I mean, like, for you, just having this podcast mm -hmm. makes you an example. Like you right. said, people have reached out to you okay. and, and your messages saying that you touched them or you helped them in a certain kind of way. So mm -hmm. I think being open and, and sharing your stories could help Mm -hmm. Anybody. Yeah. I mean, you never know. Like somebody may be watching this one. They may watch a previous episode and they may not even have told you, mm -hmm. but you had a positive impact. I had a friend say, like, if you go out and five people say they saw you and they tell you, maybe 20 people saw you and they didn't tell you. Mm -hmm. And so, mm. you know, it's kind of like if I know Tim's a, a great example to right. the men that he he trains. I mean, that's why yeah. he's so successful at it, because it's not only just what he does on the basketball court with them, yeah. but they respect him as a person. Definitely. And so he may have a kid that he trained years ago who doesn't have the talent to be a college player, but he right. can look up and say, well, man, I had a great example. This was a great person. And sure. so I think, like you said, each one of us has something that we can do that can help. And, mm -hmm. you know, for his, it may be basketball. Sure. And yours, it may be basketball, which kind of gave you, the name that you have, but right. also created this platform for you to talk about mental health. So right. I think in so many ways, we're all doing something. It's just, unfortunately, the way the world is and with the media, yeah. it won't be broadcast unless we do right. something bad. If yeah. I go out and, you know, do something crazy, I'll make the news. Right. But if I help 10 kids with mental health, Nobody, yeah, it nobody even, really cares. Yeah. It's, it's a it's a ripple effect. Yeah. You know what I mean. And your your network of people that you associate with daily, mm -hmm. you know, even if it, it is a small tribe of ten people or right. whatever, but it has an effect on those ten people, which leads into another ten people, another okay. twenty and people, and it multiplies. Okay. You know what I mean. And so we've all, at some point in our life, have had people that have inspired us Definitely. or have said something to us that has changed the outcourse of our lives. Right. You know what I mean? And, and going back to our relationship, our mm -hmm. friendship, you know, going back to 10 years, I mean, you making that video of one of our training sessions changed my life. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Who knows where we both would be if we didn't have that, that one little video. It changed my life. You know what I mean? <laughs> one so, video. One video. And then now it gives us a platform to be able to have these type of conversations and then to talk yeah. about the memories and the struggles and, and the triumphs and all those different things that we've, we've um, accomplished. Right. You know, and to give that those those teachings and the things that we've learned, give that back. 
right. to the next generation or the younger generation. I right. think that's that's what it's about. That should be the purpose and the intent mm. of everything that we do. I like know? that. Yeah, and another thing is like, so we live in a consumer society, right? But everybody consumes information differently. Like in high school, I never read books. Mm. And then when I got out of college, for some reason, I started reading books. But now I have to consume information from whether it's visually, uh, audible. Everybody consumes everything differently. Um, and as you as you guys are talking, like you guys have what a ten year relationship. It started from one video that he made for you. To me, that's like walking me through like a movie. You know what I'm saying? And you, we constantly we're telling the same stories over and over again. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what I realized about uh, just people people that were successful. Mm -hmm. They all told the same stories. It's like if you go see uh, a comedian, mm -hmm. they do the same jokes at every... Uh, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it makes sense now because you can't continue to just create new material. Mm -hmm. But your story gets better as you as you hone it and as you continue to, to tell it. Maybe you're taking something out of it or maybe you're adding something to it. But uh, just from like listening to you guys, it's... Yeah, it sounds like a it sounds like a film. It sounds like a documentary. Like a, it sounds like like I want to hear more. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, so it's a beautiful struggle. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, like it, it really is, man. And you picked like a like a great name and like all of those things. Um, and I could definitely just attest to it because like yeah, like the struggle part of it is hard, but then like the beautiful moments are mm -hmm. like priceless. The beautiful moments make the struggle seem like nothing. Yeah. You know, it's like the beautiful moments make me like expect the struggle. Yeah. You're know, like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to deal with this struggle real quick because I know like this is, this is what the struggle is, but I know it's, there's going to be some beauty mm -hmm. like right after this. Man, so. you know, it's, it's interesting that you brought that up because something that I've, I've, I've been dealing with mm -hmm. not just recently, but it seems like my whole life, Right. but it's just finding a way to um, embrace uncertainty yes like when you're in that dark space yes and you don't know what's gonna happen next and i think that's where the ego you know dives in and, and can tries to control things yeah. um with your mind but for me man and and then it's also playing the victim you know mm -hmm. having these self-pity parties you know i've right i've probably done that too much in my life to be honest okay you know but it's i think that's just a part of the process too is go through that emotional roller coaster Right. Um, but I'm now really just learning in my early 30s that how much it affects other people. Okay. You know what I mean? So um, dealing with learning how to just go with the flow and right. walking by faith, not by sight. You know, I've really tried to mm. do that the best I can, you know, um, with where I'm at in this stage of my life, too. I dig that. Um, mm -hmm. You spoke a little bit earlier about um, Steve Stout. Yeah. So I believe you said that he left at the kind of like the peak of his career to mm -hmm. go do something completely different. And you spoke about that as well. Do you, do you not feel that fear of like, this is what I do great. This is what people know me for. And I'm going to go over here where like, I have no experience. I have no, uh, you know, I have no skin in the game. Mm -hmm. Does that not kind of uh, scare you a bit? No, I'm, I've never been afraid of failure. Right. Because all of my hardships, I think we all could attest to that. True. You know, failures, that's just, I actually seek failure. Right. You know, but I think ultimately with a guy like Steve Stout, for me, what I admire about him is is um, his level of curiosity. Okay. And as long as you're curious, I feel like you're going to learn something. And when okay. you learn something, that goes that equates into knowledge. Okay. And when you have knowledge, you create value. 
when you create value, then obviously you'll get paid or you'll be able to do what you want to do. And True. you create some sense of longevity in True. that business. So, um, yeah, man, I, I, Steve Styles has done a phenomenal job, but moving into another industry and leaving what you're great at. And I think that's just inevitable because we all, we all at some point have to recreate ourselves. Right. You know, you can't do one thing for the whole, your whole life. But, right. But that's what you're doing with this podcast, because yeah. I'm sure there's right. people who have probably put you in a box as basketball player. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's fun. Even man. though you may not feel like you're at the level Steve Stout was, yeah. was or is, but you're yeah. making the same move. Yeah. Right. Because, on a smaller scale. It's a challenge to you mm -hmm. that right. is, I mean, you can go out and play basketball. It's easy. You've been doing it for, for a long time. Right. But I think everybody has a challenge. And there's right. some people who it's, they play the safe route. Okay. And so when I hear Steve Stout's story, he didn't play it safe. Right. But I don't think he would have ever got to the level that he was at if he played it safe right. years ago. Yeah, right. And so I think like, like I said, with his story, he's not playing it safe. He's looking for a new challenge. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, same with you. I mean, when I first saw you was doing this, mm -hmm. I thought, like, wow, that's that's pretty cool because most people, especially athletes, they just want to play basketball or football or whatever, and then they don't think about the next step until yeah. Yeah. it's it's too late because a lot of people don't retire and go out on their own. They're forced to think of something else. And then we've all heard the stories about athletes. Once, you know, the crowd isn't cheering for them anymore, they have like this real yeah. struggle of, of adjusting to life. True. And so for you, I think like you got on it early. Yeah, like yeah. You, you didn't want to put yourself in a box, like I keep saying. So yeah. you've, you've have taken a new challenge, which is difficult because mm. even though yeah. you may feel like this is what you're passionate about, this is what you want to do, Man, there's there's some lows in it, and I, I know mm -hmm. all about it. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess so. My senior project in college was uh, recidivism. Mm -hmm. So guys, within getting out of prison, almost, so it's probably like a year, year to two-year gap mm -hmm. where if they don't have a family structure, mm -hmm. um, a job, or a relationship, then they'll come right back to prison. Mm -hmm. And just in my life, like, Seeing uh, mostly the men, mostly the men in my family, just being taken away well, for whatever reasons, you know, whatever reasons systemically, whether it's drugs or whatever, whatever reasons, just seeing them being taken away. Mm -hmm. And I just think uh, the, the man's role in a family structure, you can't really quantify it. You can't really mm -hmm. say that a man needs to make this much because it's, it's certain intangibles that just you can't put a value on just yeah. having a man there, you know, mm -hmm. and just being like... Being one of the only uh, in my immediately family, in my immediate family, uh, male figures, mm -hmm. um, just like where I am right now, like I love it. Mm -hmm. And like, granted, like I have, I have horrible times where I'm like, yo, like I shouldn't be right here. Like I should be able to do more for my family. But they remind me, like, just you being here, mm -hmm. like you being here is just enough sometimes. Yeah. And like you say, like with overthinking, like, yeah, I get in my head like all the time, like. Mm -hmm. Like why am like why why am I not doing more right now? But like you said, like it's all like a long, a long process. Right. Sometimes it's like sometimes, man, like I I struggle with something and then I don't think about it. And then mm -hmm. I just stop thinking about it. And then maybe it's like a week, maybe it's two weeks later, 
it just come to me like that. Yeah. And I'm like, damn, if I just if I just take my time and like you say, like you you expect you expect the struggle. Mm-hmm. Like when you expect it, it's like, all right, nothing can really get to me because I'm I already know, like I already know this is gonna come. Mm-hmm. You know? So that's just where I'm at, man. I uh I've always I've always been like this, like my whole life. Um Man, I was tall. I played sports because I was tall. I got girls, mm-hmm. you know, from sports. Um, but I was just like like when I had Miles on here, yo. He was mm-hmm. like, he was like, yeah, I was a nerd. That's what he said. And I and I felt that. And mm-hmm. uh just from being around him when I got to 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 hang with him closely when we were training over the summer, like I was like, man, like this dude is like free. Like he's, yeah. he's diverse, like he don't care what nobody thinks. Like mm-hmm. he does so many different things. Like it inspired me. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, man, like. And sometimes it takes that. Sometimes it takes for you to see someone else doing yeah. something, you know. Um, so it goes like what I said. I saw Tim training guys, and I was like, right, right. You know what? I can do that. Mm-hmm. Right. And to me, it's so crazy. Was because it's like, all right, you, you so you train guys, and you get the best out of them physically and mentally, mm-hmm. right? So that doesn't that just doesn't relate to sports. Uh, one of my one of my friends, Baylor Barbie, right? So Baylor played at. Uh, Baylor played at Baylor, played mm-hmm. football there. Now what he does is he, uh, he he's an author, he writes books, and he goes to companies and he just speaks about, uh, like, mental performance. Mm-hmm. That's all he does. And he gets paid for it, right? So kind of like dope. with what you do, mm-hmm. you do it. We all do it. Mm-hmm. You know, whether we're training kids or, like, whatever we're doing in our lives, like, we all do it. Um, so just with me, it's like, I, man, like, I'm going to take the same approach, like, when you got a basketball game. You got shoot around. Yeah, you got scouting. You got you got to know the numbers, and it's the same thing like with life. Mm-hmm. Um, the hard part is that it doesn't come as fast as you would like. But to me, I just I believe I'm like a late bloomer that things will come to me, not when I want it, but like when it's supposed to when I'm supposed to receive it. Well, man, I'll, I'll you know? say you way ahead of the curve. I'm, You're mature beyond your years, though. I mean, ever since I've known you, um, I think your testimony alone speaks volumes. You know, and to see what you're doing and to have all this su- success thus far before 30. Right. I mean, that's that's big time, man, because even for me now, I'm still trying to figure out who I am. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's because, you know, it was funny. I had this conversation the other day. Um, I don't even know the 20 year old, 21 year old version of who I am or who I was, I should say. Same okay. thing at 25. I can't really I have fond memories and I understand kind of what I was dealing with at that time. Okay. But if I had a relationship with that person, that 25 year old Tim Martin, right. I would be like, man, who are you? But I think that just comes with time as you evolve and you, right. you start to figure things out. You, your, your perspective shapes differently. You right. know what I mean? And so you're, you're just wise beyond your years. Cause at 27, I was not thinking how you're thinking, you okay. know? So, but just you on the right path. I could tell you that. Right. Um, now this is kind of heavy, man. So you're a father. Mm-hmm. Are you a father? Nope. Okay, you're a son. Yeah, you are a son. Um, I mean, seeing people just get just outright murdered. You know, mm-hmm. you speak about what George Floyd, Breonna Taylor. It's, it's it's so many names. It's so many names you could just throw out there. Um, having a child, like raising a child, um, potentially. I don't know if you guys are gonna have you're gonna have kids. Like, how do you feel? Because I, I have a five year old niece, you know, and she's mm-hmm. just oblivious to what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking, like, wow, like, 
one day she's gonna have to, I'm gonna have to explain some things to her, and uh, it's gonna be kind of difficult. Um, but what is that like? Like you, you have a, a son now, and um, just seeing everything that's like going on, knowing yeah. that he's gonna have to grow in this world. Yeah. Um, man, is is it is difficult because there's no right or wrong way. I should say. Um, I think everybody has their own way of of parenting. You know, not even for me. I've hell, I've had to take parenting classes okay. to learn how to be a better parent. You know, okay. and I, I still struggle with that, and that's actually one of the biggest things I struggle with in my personal life. Okay, is being a dad. Okay. Um, however, with everything going on, you you never want to jeopardize a child's um, innocence okay. in terms of their, their their childhood. I don't feel like any child should have that burden, you okay. know what I mean, um, of dealing with these social problems. Too soon. Too soon. Okay. You know what I mean? You got to find the right time. But at the same token, you you want to inform them the best way that they could understand. Okay. Um, because it is important, especially when, you, when you're raising black kids. Right. You know what I mean? And God forbid if something were to ever happen to me, mm. you know, you, you want to make sure that you're leaving some nuggets and you, you want them to, to think a little differently outside the box because they're going to have to live their lives a lot different than yeah. other ethnicities. That's just the reality of it. Right. So it's, it's definitely, um, it, it's, it's a touchy subject. I mean, yeah. I think there's, it's just something that you got to figure out and just pray for the best. Yeah. I agree, man. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't have a, a son. I mean, yeah. I, I hope to one day be a okay. father and right. I mean, I think every man wants a boy. Right. It seems so far off for me at this point to have those type of conversations because, I mean, if I had a kid tonight, <laughs> it right. would still be 12, 13 years before hopefully I have to, like... Yeah, sit him down. Yeah, have, have those conversations. Um, but for me, in a perfect world, the way I would love for my life to be set up is I would love for my kids to be expats. And so oh. what I mean by expats yeah. is your kids grow up in different countries. Yeah. And so if I I'm end up, you know, my career takes off the way I want to as a scout, mm -hmm. I would like for my kids to have those experiences. Like all of us have yeah. have seen different things overseas yeah. in different countries. And I know for me, I look at when I have lived abroad, I can say like, this is what this culture does right. right. This is what we do wrong. But this is what we do right and they do wrong. So I want my kids to have yeah. those experiences, but I don't want, and I mean, I, I hope to never have to have this conversation, but you know, it's inevitable, mm -hmm. but you know, I don't want like my kid to grow up in fear of, oh, yeah. Yeah. you know, just of everything that's going on because yeah. I mean, it's like, it's weird because in one sense you want them to be naive to it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, you, yeah. you have to make them aware. Right. And so when I look at people from different countries and, and when they ask me questions about America, it puts things in perspective. Like one day I was in, I was in Athens, Greece, and I was in a cab and the guy says, how does it feel to live in a country where everybody has a gun? And if someone wanted something that you worked hard for, they can come and take it from you at that time. And, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking like, should I be offended? <laughs> but that's a real question. But yeah. we grow up knowing that, you know, like, if you become too successful, you can't go here because yeah. you're a target. Yeah. And so 
a part of me just wishes that everybody could be as naive yeah. and not have to worry about that. Yeah. But that's just something as a black man in the States that, you know, you have to make your kids aware of everything that, that goes on here that may not go on in other cultures. They may have their own issues, but you know, I lived in China. Yeah. If I drop my wallet in China, somebody may chase me down and bring it back to me. Right. Super yeah. nice. Yeah. And, but violence is not something that they, they deal with in their culture, right. but they have other things that they, True. you know, they don't yeah. have the freedoms that we have. So yeah. fake food and stuff. Man. <laughs> like some weird so, stuff. so yeah, like I, was, true. I, 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 I got a lot of that. <laughs> I would want my kids to just yeah. have different experiences. Yeah. And I mean, as much as I could avoid having them become teenagers and growing up and in the States. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it may yeah. sound crazy, but like, you know, like especially with everything that's going on today. Mm-hmm. And this is probably an unpopular opinion. And I've been saying this for the last few years, but I actually think what Trump has done is good in a sense, because yeah. I prefer my okay. racism overt. Mm-hmm. Right so, out, right out in the yeah, open. Yeah, like for sure. I saw a video today where um, I guess it was a guy that was in Philadelphia. He was going around tearing down these Black Lives Matter signs. Mm-hmm. And a lady was saying, like, she said something to him. And she said, Black Lives Matter. And he said, to me, they don't. Yes. Well, but he had a higher—I think he was like a judge. Yeah. He was a judge? He was a judge. And then I saw another video where these kids were in a neighborhood in Florida, and they were on a golf cart, and the guy chased them, and— you know, he said, you don't belong in this neighborhood. And the girl ran and got her her grandfather, who's a black man. And he was like, he had a high-ranking position at some company. But the man that was harassing them, mm-hmm. he worked at Homeland Security. Okay. And he, But he had a high-ranking job, too, based off the neighborhood that they lived in. Right. And so I feel like, like you said earlier, this stuff has been going on, but now it's being recorded. Yeah. But I feel like Trump has divided the country so much that people— who are racist and have these feelings are now typing how they feel out. Yeah. So you kind of know, like, and I mean, some people are losing their jobs because people are, you know, screenshotting it and sending it to their companies. But I feel like, man, I would rather know. Yeah. Yeah. Than not, than not know. He's he's exposing a whole different side of America. And it's it's good, you know, and that's a great point. I think it's, it's good to shine light on, on what America really is. It's not this esoteric, beautiful no. place. Now it's a great country. I'm yeah. not. I'm not denying that. But when you do travel the world, yeah. and you go to to a China or South Korea or Africa or France or wherever, right. you know, America is not what it seems. You know, on the movie screens. You right. know what I mean? There's a lot of underlying um, issues that can't even really be discussed in a healthy manner. And that's where we're at right now. You know, we talking about just the Black Lives Matter movement. Right. You know, and, and the first thing that a lot of people want to say, well, all lives matter. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and we all hear that every day. And it's like, man, we can't yeah. even just get on a topic of just <laughs> equality. You right. know what I mean? It's, it's crazy. So yeah, um, I think Trump, to your point, um, he's really shined light on, on what America really is, yeah. you know? Sometimes it takes that, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we've been exposed as a country. Like, I mean, think about all the times where you're watching the news and you saw protests going on in 
Lebanon or something like that. Oh, or yeah. even like, I mean, it was, it may seem like a long time ago, but it was just a few months ago that yeah. in Hong Kong, they were protesting yeah. and rioting every day, but we didn't care. Like that right. never happened here. True. Mm-hmm. You know, a disease that shuts down a whole country, that had never happened here. Yeah. And yeah. within a matter of months, I just feel like we've been exposed that we're, I mean, our arrogance has just came out. Like yeah. we got to, you know, this pandemic that has humbled a lot of people. Yeah. And then it's been like a perfect storm with everything that's been going on because George Floyd wasn't the first black man to be murdered uh, on. He won't be the last. And he, I mean, I, I hope you're wrong. I hope I'm yeah. wrong too. Yeah. I hope, but he's not. He's not. And it's been like, all of this has been like a, a perfect storm of exposing everything that we have going on here. Yeah. Man, just like for me, like you guys say, like going overseas, it really just opened my eyes. Yeah. It was like, because like you say, like you have, like we think the ghetto is the project. Oh, there's bad. levels to it. Oh, <laughs> there's levels it's to it. It's like ghettos. no water, yeah. no shoes, like yeah. Yeah. electricity, like real strong. What's a phone? Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, Different. Yeah, I mean, p- poor people in the states may still have owned a pair of Jordans, or you got cable. You got somewhere to live. Yeah. Like what? So seeing that, and then just seeing like how appreciative people were in the different cultures of mm-hmm. like the smallest things. Yeah. Um, just that's what kind of going overseas did for me. Like that's what I just enjoy about traveling in general. Yeah, like, the world's just, best teacher, in my opinion. Oh, a hundred percent. I yeah. I think the people that are. are subjecting the hate onto others and that are really like just ignorant and racist. Right. They're not well seasoned. And what I mean by that, they, they don't really travel like that. They travel within the States or they may go to, you know, San Jope in France or whatever, but it's, it's, it's in a, um, it's like classism as well. You know what I mean? But in, for us, we've, we've gone to other countries and we've experienced different, um, economics in terms of going to right. different neighborhoods or right. different cities. And when you do that, you can't help but um, be more open-minded and empathetic to what other people um, in the world have to go through or what they're dealing with. Right. You know what I mean? And so it just shapes your your perspective in a different way as opposed to if we were just to stay in our neighborhood yeah. in our safety, you know, our safe yeah. haven every day, we would probably, you know, a you, lot you of would, people do it. Yeah, 100%. A lot of people never leave the state. One of the craziest experiences I had was I had lived in Turkey for like 10 months. And right before I went there, a guy, I think he must have played basketball over there, he says, you won't experience any racism in Turkey. And, you know, in my mind, at that time, that was when they had the big coop and they had, like, all this stuff going on. You think, like, Turkey's dangerous. Okay. I had a great experience there. Right. But what the guy told me is the Turkish people are the way he said it is Turkish people in Europe are like black people in the States. I get that. Yeah. And you know, you think about it because they're Muslim. Right. You know, they're not in the European Union. They don't use euros. They got to use their own money. Right. And I'm like, well, I never thought of that. So when I was in Turkey, friendliest people ever, but they felt like we understand what y'all go through in the States because mm-hmm. this is how they treat us in Europe. Wow. And that was so amazing to me because I would have never thought that. Right. And it's all because, like, you know, here we don't necessarily have issues with people over religion. It's skin color and class. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in other parts of the world, it's just strictly based off of your religion. Mm-hmm. Mm. And so it just kind of opened my eyes that 
you know, the stuff that we're going through here is it's only here. Other right. parts they other parts of the world they have their own issues. That's but true. you know, they have different ones than we have. Yeah, man. I was in France and their president's name was Macron and uh we were at the Eiffel Tower and they were they were protesting, like burning up cars. Mm-hmm. The French are the best protesters in yeah. the world. Duh, the yellow jackets. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So you couldn't drive your car. They wouldn't let you through if you didn't have a yellow jacket. Mm-hmm. And it's you granted, it's like a thousand people out there. So you you either gonna get a yellow jacket or <laughs> yeah. you're not like you're not getting through. Yeah. Like but it was I, serious. I never understood. Like they have the healthcare is good. Yeah. You know, they can go to college for a little bit of nothing. But mm-hmm. if the taxi drivers Want a fifty cent raise? Yep. They will protest and they will shut down the most touristic areas Man, and in the, Paris. The funny thing about that is the taxi drivers did that and bam, Uber. So yep. the taxi drivers all protested on the mm-hmm. same day, and that's when Uber took off. Wow. Yeah, because I, I remember I was in Paris and yeah. I didn't. I you know you see a lot of taxis, right? But the the price range is just night and day. Yeah, I mean you have to use Uber yeah. out there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. Tax. Every Paris is very expensive. Yeah, very expensive. That's true. But, That's true. Yeah, I like kind of being on the outskirts and being able to go in to the the big cities and mm-hmm. then kind of go rest on the outskirts. And yeah. You don't really have to deal with the traffic and you pay to park everywhere you go. Like, but it was it was fun, man. Just yeah. Some of those like I love like the scenic areas and like the history. Of things uh, when I was in Italy, like Italy has a lot of history. Um, Taiwan was just beautiful. Like you guys been to China and Greece and things like that. Like some of those like scenic areas, like the views, and you hear like the story of like the wars and stuff that those people dealt with. Like they hold on to that and they're like prideful about those things, mm-hmm. you know, which we have too in America. But I don't, I don't think all Americans like understand like what our wars are about, like. We're our own enemy. Like, the guy that we're fighting, like, that's not our enemy. Mm -hmm. You know, but, like, that's what we believe. The average person would believe if they don't, like, take the time to go, like, research it uh, themselves. When you go to Europe, like, the the Europeans are going to tell you. You know, like, they're going to kind of let you know what's going on. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, man, like, it's been a beautiful conversation, man. Like, we, we can keep going. I feel like I've been asking, like, a lot of, questions which which always kind of like happens on the show i really just kind of want to hear like you guys take or like any kind of questions that you would have like for me like in my position what made you what well what was the turning point where you said i'm gonna do this this podcast and open Mm. yourself up because being vulnerable is Mm. not easy and so you put yourself in position to like tell your story and, and open up and what mm-hmm. what was the turning point for you to say, you know, I'm going to uh, take my story and I'm going to put it on Facebook and do a podcast? Kind of like how you were saying, you know, like really dark, just being in a really dark place. Uh, just like searching within the world for like meaning and purpose, mm-hmm. like uh, whether that was like attention or uh alcohol, partying, drugs, sex, lust, whatever that was, Mm -hmm. constantly searching for that, like, within the world and not feeling fulfilled, Mm -hmm. right? So once you do that, you're like, okay, the only thing I could really do was I just just told myself, I remember uh, my dad, like, one one time he caught me, like, 
smoking weed when I was in high school, right? Mm-hmm. My dad did not play about that shit. So I, I came home. He never, he would never get in my car. Mm-hmm. For some reason, like, I came home and, like, he hopped right in my car, yo. So, mm-hmm. like, my chest was just beating. Like, I'm about to have a heart attack, yeah. Because my dad was a disciplinary. Um, but I, I was, like, 17, mm-hmm. so... There's no more ass whoopings, right? <laughs> so, like, that just wasn't gonna happen. Like that wasn't gonna happen. Yeah. But I vividly remember, like he he made me read the Bible, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the things that he always left me was was like, whether I'm here or not, like you you have to have a relationship with God, right? Like you have to. So after I had like just searched in the world for like all these things to find fulfillment, and I just kept just being like unsatisfied and disappointed. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to just try to like establish a relationship with God. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I, I was, I'm in, I'm a part of a men's group. It's called the ladder. Mm-hmm. So we went, we all get together and we just talk about whatever is going on in our lives. Mm-hmm. And it obviously like it's, it's surrounded around Christ. But for me, it's like, it's a, it's a place where I feel comfortable enough to like share mm-hmm. like what's really going on and like be vulnerable so, like, within those things, like, within, like, establishing a relationship with God, um, God had been, like, working in my life, like, the whole time, but I couldn't see it because um, I'm, giving, I'm giving all of my energy to, like, these false idols, mm-hmm. to, to the world, to, like, Instagram or to whether it was, like, a girl at the time or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. all right, if I have this, then, like, I'm good. Like, I'm fulfilled. Right. You're never going to get that. Like, that never comes from, like, a person or a thing. Like, it only comes from, like, within. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, just just wanting to, like you say, like, work on myself. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of really what, what made me do this. And then just always that, that void of, like, losing my dad, like, it never really, like, goes away. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I'm always, like, searching or digging for, like, meaning or understanding or just wanting to know like stuff about his life that I didn't know. Cause mm-hmm. like now I talk to some of his friends sometime, they tell me stories about him that I didn't know. And it just gives me like a certain like uh gratification. Yeah. I guess. So uh I just I just kinda continue to yeah. follow that. Well it, it seems like um this podcast gives you that sense of therapy. Oh. You know yeah. what I mean? And and to um express your own personal spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, I feel like Every, it's almost every time that we have deep conversations, you mm-hmm. you bring up your dad. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's just a testament to his impact in your life. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's a great thing to see that because having these type of conversations, you see what what type of man that he raised. You know what I mean? So I, I commend you, bro. Like, I'm I'm proud of you. And I, I appreciate what you're doing and, and building this platform because – the first time we did an interview this time last summer was right before a training session at SMU. Yeah. It was just me and you, and you had your own little, little laptop. Laptop. And now look at you. Fact. You know what I'm saying? Now yeah. look at you. I mean, yeah. So, growth. Growth. Straight up. Uh, just any any anything you guys wanted to share about, uh, like whatever whatever is on your mind. You know, like what, what what's going on or in your personal life, what's going on in America. Like this is kind of that time. As we like wind down in the episode, <laughs> man. You know, I'll just say this, man. Um, it's just been a pleasure being around you guys and being able to catch up. You know, I, yeah. we we all have um, our own personal relationships, and, and coming together is, is just a great thing to be able to do, especially in this time. 
right. that we're dealing with. But um, I think for everybody out there that may be listening to the show, um, I think it's really important to take one day at a time and and start developing healthier habits with your with your personal life. And for me, I'm trust me, like I'm I'm probably the worst guy in this whole studio. You know what I mean? When it comes to just um, not living up to what other people's expectations may be. But I've had to learn that over time that I've it's it's about me and my personal growth and my personal journey and, and just trying to figure out what's best for me and how I could affect others in a positive way. Okay. But ultimately, man, it's just, um, you know, don't overthink it. That's that's the best advice I could give anybody out there. Just don't overthink it. Just let things allow yourself to go through the pain. Allow yourself to to grow. And, you know, at some point you you'll see the light, you know, at the end of the tunnel or whatever you're going with. Right. Because, I mean, historically, you look at your life, mm-hmm. all the bad things that you've ever endured have only made you better. True. And and it's like, okay, there's there may be a couple things you may regret or you would change, but ultimately, like, if you change anything in, in your in your past, yeah, that would you you wouldn't be the same person you are today. You know what I mean? So I think it's it's inevitable for us to allow ourselves to go through these things that we're dealing with, you know, and right. and to just stay the course and weather the storm. Right on. It's funny you said uh, living up to expectations. I feel like, man, I. I feel like that's been me. My my dad is a pastor. He's a pastor of a pretty okay. fairly large sized church at home. And so the pressure of being like a pastor's kid is tough mm-hmm. because I, I had to be perfect. Oh yeah. And so, um, because you're like, you know, people put you in this category, either you're like the angel or yeah. you're bad. Right. And so I kind of fell into like, oh, he's, he's an angel. So if I ever did anything that was, it, it, you know, it was yeah. a big deal. Right. And so that pressure alone, it's not fun. It's not fun at all. Mm-hmm. But, you know, even as an adult, I mean, I'm 40 years old and there's still like this pressure of, you know, I'm my dad's son. Like right. I'll, when I'm here, you know, like in Dallas, people just know me as, you know, who I am. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if I'm at home, I'm always like my dad's son, you know? Right. So, and, and that's like a pressure in itself of having to live up to, certain expectations that nobody can live up to. Uh-huh. Right. So sometimes it can be uh it can be a little difficult because I know like for me, I, I grew up with a very stable household. Okay. Mom, dad, I'm thankful that like as a kid I was affirmed early. I knew I was loved. I knew I just had stability. I had everything. So for me, my struggles in life didn't come until I chose to pursue what I wanted to do in life. Uh-huh. So mm. I'm sure my life would have been a lot simpler if I just, after I graduated from college, went and got this job that I out. don't necessarily like, but yeah. this is like, you know, and I, I feel like if I would have did that, I could have climbed this corporate ladder, but it's just something about being that guy that has on the slacks that comes home and takes off your slacks after sitting at a desk for eight hours yeah. I just knew it wasn't, I knew it wasn't me. And so one of the things that I've kind of struggled with, and I'm sure we all have, is like when you're doing something you love, it's a lot more difficult than, I don't know. I mean, I could be wrong. No, I feel like right. if you're doing yeah, something that you really love, there's a struggle in it. Like he keeps saying a beautiful sure. struggle. Like I know his story about 
how he started and and the times when you don't have any money coming in. But like for me, it's like tough because I know like this is what I love to do. This is what I feel like my purpose is. Right. But I feel like the easy way would have been to just sit at this corporate job and yeah. work this 40 hours a week. But mm -hmm. then I feel like if I would have did that, mentally I would be wrestling in my mind like this ain't what you're supposed yeah. to be doing. Right. And so... And this is like a story that I've probably shared with a few friends, but, you know, now that this is like, you know, open forum, mm -hmm. but I think like that's probably one of the areas that I struggle with is like sometimes like, man, why did I, why did I have these big lofty goals? And I know I, I hear Tim talk and I know his visions are huge. Mm -hmm. And I, sometimes I feel like people who don't have lofty goals and don't have big dreams, it seems like their life is easy because... Right. They're content. Yeah. yeah. They play it safe. Yeah. yeah. And if you have big goals and, and huge yeah. dreams, it's a battle. It can be a battle because you're always wanting to be at a, a certain level. And then, you know, social media now makes you compare, like, yeah. dang, this person's doing better than me or mm, right. they got it going on. So like if if there was a struggle that I have mentally, it is of course not being where I want to be or where I think I should be. Mm -hmm. But also it's like Dang, I took the hard route. <laughs> the road less like, traveled. <laughs> but I feel like my experiences, like I've I've been able to see like different parts of the world and I've had different experiences that have been great. So right. it like I keep saying it goes back into a shirt. There's the beauty in it, but then there's like that struggle where you're like, Yeah, dang. Yeah. You know, when you self-employed, you don't know when that next check is coming. <laughs> Boy. <laughs> you know, yeah. you don't know. And you can't like you know, you you can't sit there and know, like, I mean, I guess once you get to a certain point, but right. being self-employed and going after your goals and dreams takes a lot of faith. And I have yeah. a saying that there's a thin line between faith and stupidity. When it works out, you know, your friends are like, oh, man, you have faith. But, you know, Tim may not tell the story, but I've heard him tell the story plenty of times that he was living in his car. Yeah, yeah, man. He looks stupid. I really want you to <laughs> yeah. tell it again, man. Like, as we close, I really want you to share that, if you don't mind. Well, no, I mean, to, to in conclusion, Farmer's Branch Rec Center, where we did the first um, training video. Okay. Ultimately became like my house, so to speak. I would I would sleep in my car right around the corner in the street in the neighborhood. I would sleep in the back seat. I would wake up at 5:30 in the morning, you know, and the elderly would be walking in, you know, doing their their little aerobics and stuff, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'd be walking in with the old folk and I would sneak into the showers and go take a shower and kind of try to get my mind right cuz they had a locker room and they had like soap in there and stuff okay. like that and towels. So I would walk in there and and take showers and then try to figure out how I'm going to survive the day. You know, it was a one day at a time kind of mm -hmm. uh, mentality. And so then we would train. Nobody knew my situation. Yeah. You know, I would take the little money that I'd make off of training two or three kids right. at that time. And then, um, you know, the money that I would save over the course of time I, off of Webb Chapel and Beltline. Okay. It was like a little little motel spot by Halliburton if okay. you if you in Addison. Okay. And it was like a one fifty, hundred and fifty dollars a week. You know what I mean? For five days. Okay. And so I would stay in that little motel and then the days I didn't have the money, I'd go right back into the car. And then eventually the car got repossessed and I ain't had nowhere to go. So that's when I had two trash bags to my name. And um I stayed eventually stayed at one of my friends' house. He he came to pick me up. 
and I slept on a love seat for three years. I slept on a love seat uh, for three years. And, you know, I just knew this had to work. Like, I just had to stay the course. But it was just um, surrounding myself with good people, too, man, that uplifted me and, and taught me the ropes and believed in me. You know, I think that's a huge thing for all of us. And, and the backbone of our success is is having one person. It just takes one person believing in you. Yeah. But, yeah, no, I, I experienced the homelessness. Like, my my story um, trans is relevant to um, The Pursuit of Happiness, that movie with Will Smith. But, um, like I said, we all got a story. So mm -hmm. it's just something that I had to go through um, and figure out to get to where I am today. And so right. it, it was a blessing now looking back at it, mm -hmm. it goes back to the stupidity part. There was a, I had a choice. You know, I could have probably seeked out and gone to Jobs. got a job and, yeah. and find some better stability. But yeah. um, my mindset at that point it was like, look, it's gotta work. It can't get any worse. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm in the back seat. And then yeah. when the car drove off, I was like, well, at least I don't have a car note. <laughs> you know, I just got bad credit. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, it's just like when, when you hit rock bottom, and I said this plenty of times, but when you hit rock bottom in life, that's a, a solid foundation to build off of. Right. You know what I mean? When And it's just like, damn, now I can only go up. Right. And so um, that's where I've been at. That's the beautiful struggle, man. Yeah. Say, man, Tim Martin in here, Raphael Barlow. I appreciate you guys for coming through. We got the beautiful struggle merch. We got NBA draft junkies. Go check that out. Like, review, and share. Please, you leave your comments. And hey, yo, catch you on the rebound. Yeah, and we out. <laughs>